Good morning. I'll be reading from chapter 8 of Romans, verses 31 through 39, and you can find it in your pew Bible on page 801. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dare... Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute? or in danger, or threatened with death. As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. I guess I'm getting more paternalistic and commenced to maudlin, but I thought we baptized a daughter of the church, and a daughter of the church led music, and then for scripture reading, the inimitable KT, who grew up here, so I'm getting old. I'm just so proud, and I am, and I know you are. And, and by the way, that was Sylvan. Sylvan, where are you? Sylvan Cox is helping us this uh, semester. Uh, this is part of his senior internship uh, at Sanford, and, and he's a high-strung guy, so if he gets out of hand, just talk him down. And uh, you're not a son of the church, but we'll adopt you, okay? We'll, we'll, you're, you're a good man. Uh, he's heading to Hillsong University next year in Australia, which is kind of cool, the music place. So, very neat stuff. Well, let's turn to this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If you look at the first verse there of Romans chapter 8, uh, beginning at verse 31, what then shall we say in response to these things? What are these things. It's in response to all of these things that the Spirit gives us. It's really retracing all of what we've talked about the last four weeks when we have enumerated and really celebrated all these gifts that the Spirit gives us. Romans 8, 1 through 8 talked about how the Spirit gives us freedom, that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, that we are set free from sin and death. And really, verses 9 through 13 pick up on that, and we talked about how the Spirit gives us life. The Spirit gives us life eternal both here and in the life to come. And then there's a beautiful metaphor for that that you find in verses 14 through 17, the metaphor of adoption, that the Spirit adopts us, that we become sons and daughters of God, and that we can call God Abba just as Jesus did in that most intimate of terminologies, those most intimate of titles. We become heirs of an inheritance, it says, not just for this life but in the life to come. And then last week we talked about that the Spirit gives us hope, that in all things God is working toward his purposes. And we drew an important distinction last week that things that happen to us don't seem to always have a reason, or sometimes we impose too superficial a reason for it sometimes. 
that might not be good enough, but what we are assured of is that there is purpose working in and through all of that. And as things go along in the future, you can look back and see how the Spirit worked in and through all of that. And all of this culminates in this wonderful passage that KT read just a moment ago. The reason the Spirit gives us all these gifts that that equips us not just for here, but prepares us for the life to come. And because of that, we can make it true whatever we face in this life. What is the Spirit's motivation for all of this? It is quite simply, yet profoundly, love. It's a love that, that built a bridge between God the Father and ourselves because of the love of Christ. It's a bridge that he did not have to build for us. It's definitely something you and I do not deserve, and yet he did just that. It's that love that causes us to remember our theme for this year, following our first love, follow our first love. You remember the the logo up here? Follow our first love. I mean, when you think about how profound his love, we sang about how deep the Father's love for us, it's difficult to put into words. In fact, to really articulate it is impossible. But do we really realize the magnitude of his love for us? We hear about the love of God all the time. God loves you. We, we hear that. But do we really recognize the depth of it? Because it's not a love like you have for a team or a musical piece or, or some sport or a food it, it, or, or even a person whom you might love a great deal. It goes way beyond the deepest love that you have for someone else. It's a completely, purely selfless love. And it's never, I love you if... It's never even I love you because, it's quite simply I love you. Now, how do you describe that? I'll be honest, I've been racking my brain and praying with all my heart in the last number of weeks. Like, how do I articulate this? And I've decided you really cannot. It's really impossible. I did find one helpful image from from the biblical scholar D.A. Carson, and I'm just going to read it. It takes a minute, but just listen to this because I think he captures it pretty well in a way that's more earthy than other ways that I've found. He said, how do you describe God's love? Picture Charles and Susan at the end of a semester year walking hand in hand at the beach. They kick off their sandals, and they can feel the wet sand squishing between their toes. As the sun sets, Charles turns to Susan, and he looks into her eyes, and he says, Susan, I love you. I really do. Now, what does he mean when he says that? Well, it's possible that he has just had a surge of testosterone, but let's assume that he has a little decency, and what he means by it is probably something along these lines. Susan, I cannot live without you. You mean the world to me. Your smile captivates me. The scent of your hair, the beauty of your eyes, your sense of humor, your kind spirit, the witty conversation, it just transfixes me. Susan, I love you. And he means it. That's what he means. And, And it's certainly, I'll tell you certainly what he doesn't mean. Susan, you have had such a bad case of halitosis that it would embarrass a large herd of unwashed garlic-eating elephants. And Susan, your hair is so greasy it could oil an 18-wheeler. And your knees are so knobby you could make a camel look elegant. And Susan, your nose is so bulbous you could be a sideshow at a circus. And Susan, I'm just reading here, okay. Susan, your mustache is so thick that your dinner could be lost in it. I love you. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what he means. That's not what he means. But, but Carson goes on and said, but wait, let's talk about God's love now. Because when God says to us, I love you, what does he mean by that? Does he mean I can't live without you? That you're the most incredible person? 
and the witty conversation and your wonderful personality and your delightful smile and the beauty of you. I just can't imagine living in heaven without you because you're so beautiful, so wonderful. I love you. Is that what God means? Isn't that just kind of the therapeutic approach to God's love that we've taken over the last number of years? We must be pretty wonderful for God to love us. But let me wager to you that that is not what he means. When God says, I love you, what he's saying is, you are a people of halitosis. You are the people of knobby knees, of greasy hair, of bulbous noses. But I love you. Not because you're attractive, not because you've earned it, not because you're good enough. I just love you. That's how God talks to us. That's what he means when he says, I love you. How do you understand a love like that? And Carson's right. And how do you understand the self-sacrificing love that Jesus showed to us? And do you realize what it took for him to show that love? I know you know about the cross. But do you realize really in in, in a developmental kind of way what that took even earlier on in his ministry? We just baptized Isabel a few moments ago. Let me talk about the baptism of Jesus. What does it mean when we baptize someone like Isabel? It's really a public display that she is showing of how much she loves Jesus and wants to follow him. How much we love him because we know that he loved us first. But let's go to Jesus' baptism. You know the story. He wades into the River Jordan. John is there. He wants to be baptized. John doesn't want to do it. He does not feel worthy. Jesus says, we must do this. I must do this to fulfill my calling. What was the nature of Jesus' baptism? Was it well, what was, what was the baptism of John the Baptist? Remember, he came along and said, blank for the kingdom of God is at hand. What was his big word? It's a verb. starts with the letter R. Repent. So John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. But then Jesus comes along. Was his also a baptism of repentance? Yes or no? No. Why? He was without sin. He did not need to repent of any sins. So what was the purpose of Jesus' baptism? What was his motivation? And I would say to you, keep in mind that this is right at the very commencement of his three-year ministry. I would tell you, it was a baptism, I would say, of commission. It was a commissioning just before he went out to engage in his three-year earthly ministry. And it's a beautiful symbol. Why did he choose it? I like to think that he chose it because of the beautiful motion. We just did this with Isabel a moment ago. You go down into the water, it's a symbol of what? Dying to self. Being raised to a new life. Think of Jesus when he was lowered down via immersion by John the baptizer. What was going on there? In one sense, what he was saying is, I am dying to myself. I'm being raised up to this new commission that I have been called to fulfill. And keep in mind, he's not fulfilling a commission that the Jews want him to fulfill. You probably know this. They wanted him to be what kind of a Messiah? A political, military Messiah? They wanted him to be King David 2.0. That's what they were wanting. They had no concept at the time that he was to be a suffering Messiah. This one who died to self was raised back up to fulfill this commission. And where I'm going is this. It couldn't have been easy even at that moment to realize what he was going to have to do. Help me with this. Right after the baptism account, where does Jesus go? You might know. He goes to the wilderness, what we would call the desert, to be what? Tempted. He's there 40 days. He's hungry. The tempter comes along. Now, if nothing else, listen. If you're Jesus, I know you're not. If you were Jesus... 
and you had just undergone this beautiful symbolic commission of dying to self and being raised to this particular calling, this particular mission, tempter comes along. What's your greatest point of vulnerability? What is your Achilles heel at that point? Because he knew what awaited him down the pike. If I were Jesus, and I was thinking of the misunderstandings and the injustice I would face and the ridicule and the unfair trials and the brutal torture, the beating, the crown of thorns, being nailed to a cross, the asphyxiation, the exposure, and ultimately death, what is most tempting for me to do at this moment? And look at what the tempter does. You know, Jesus, he starts out with a softball. (laughs) Just turn the stone to bread. Okay, that doesn't work. Okay, just jump off the pinnacle of this temple. You won't even bruise your toe. People will be amazed by that, and they will follow you, Jesus. They will follow you, and, and they'll follow you in a way that they'll see you as a mighty leader. And you, you can circumvent the, well, let's make it even easier. If you'll just bow down and, and, and worship me, just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these things. I'll give you the Messiah they're looking for, Jesus, and they will love you, and you will have all the power. And best of all, you can avoid what? The suffering. You can avoid all that, Jesus. That's where he had to have been most vulnerable. Did he remain vulnerable at that? Obviously, he overcame that temptation. Was there ever another moment where he wondered about it? In his full humanness, I know he's fully divine, but in his full humanness, fast forward to the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if this cup can pass from me, please let it but quickly he says no no both cases he overcame the temptation why just to show how big he was and how small satan was in comparison just to show how mighty he was just to win a competition no he did that out of love for you at his point of greatest vulnerability when he could have given it up given it up and just avoided all the suffering and pain, he remembered you. And he went on through with it. That had to be tempting to give up. And yet he went through it because of his love and because of the Father's love for us that he wanted us to know fully. And yet his Father, as it says in our passage, he did not spare his own son. And as it says in our passage now, he sits at the right hand of God and he intercedes on our behalf. Especially when it counts the most, when we go to meet them, Jesus intercedes on our behalf. Do we deserve eternal life? No, but he intercedes out of love. (laughs) And out of this, no doubt, as it says in the text, we are more than conquerors. And because of this, really, when it gets down to it, we can face everything in life. Not everything in life is easy. We will get knocked around here before it's all over. And yet we're reminded that God is working his purposes in and through all these things. And we can make it through. Therefore, the least we can do because of all these things that he's given to us is to honor him by loving him, at least trying to love him as much as he loves us, which is impossible, but I think it blesses him for us to at least try to do so. And all the more to share that love with others as unconditionally, as selflessly as possible. We had that beautiful image earlier of somebody passing through the water. Somebody's now been through the water. And I don't know if you've been baptized. I don't know if you've accepted Christ. But, but, but 
there's something very, very significant about being able to publicly say, I'm aware of just how deeply he loves me. And because of that, I want to live through him because I have been through the water. Preacher pulled the boy up from the water. Hallelujahs rose from the banks. There was a new suit of clothes from his father and a prayer of faith. He said, I've been through the water and I come out clean. I got new clothes to cover me. And you won't wear your old shoes on your brand new feet. When you've been through the water. a hook with his grandson of seven and says soon I'll be free from these pains the boy asked if he's ever been to heaven he says no 
shared this years ago uh, here. I think it was interim pastor or something. So some of y'all probably don't know this story, but um, when my mother was dying of cancer, uh, the hospice people came in, and they were just marvelous, marvelous ministers. And they came in and told my mother privately that they thought she had three days, and they were correct. Uh, they came out to tell my father and uh, uh, the children, siblings, uh, what was going on. And so after they left, we all uh, went into uh, the bedroom there where mom was lying, and she immediately took my father's hand and said, Honey, I'm dying. It was the first time that she really uh, embraced that reality and, and shared that with my father. And my father immediately said, Yes, but our love will never die. And at that moment, not knowing that the other was going to say it, verbatim <laughs> and together in unison they quoted Romans eight thirty eight and 39 for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of Christ and I think back on that because I think now my father has passed on too and they are with one another in glory and they are praising God in an everlasting fashion that must be incredible. But even as she passed on and he remained here, there was just no doubt they were still together. The Holy Spirit resided in both of them, therefore they were residing in each other. And isn't that the greatest of gifts that with the Spirit in us, we reside in one another as well. We're all together, inseparably loved by one another and by Christ himself. Does it get any better than that? Have you been through the water? Have you received Christ into your heart and touched by the Spirit? If not, you're invited to do so this hour. But first, we move from one wonderful ordinance of baptism to the other ordinance of baptism that we like to celebrate on occasion, and that is the Lord's Supper. I'd like to ask that we prepare our hearts, but I'd like to do something. We've never done this before, and I don't know why. I'd like to ask uh, Isabel and your parents, could you all come? I I want you to receive... Uh, the Lord's Supper for the first time yourself. Uh, Tim, you want to go over there? And uh, just receive it right after a word of prayer. 
Well, I guess he's going to make you walk all the way over there, Isabel. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> he's coming to... Okay, meet in the middle. There you go. But we really wanted you guys to receive it first, and especially you with this great decision you've made. And I don't know why we haven't done this before, but we should honor you by being the first to receive it this morning. And as we always do it, uh, you guys over here will head out towards the wall and then come up to that table there. You guys will come down this way and go back. You guys head to the wall, go back to where you're sitting. And again, don't rush. Feel free to go back to where you sit and, and take some time in prayer and then receive Uh, the bread and the drink when you feel led to do so. Let's have a brief word of prayer, and then we'll open it up. Lord, thank you so much uh, that that simply following you, uh, we get to participate in this incredible meal that reminds us how your body was broken for us, how your blood was shed for us, and that when we've had the opportunity to go through the water, oh God, that we can share your love with others, that incredible purely selfless love. We ask that we can do all that we can. Broken people that we are to be, lo- to be able to love others as you call us to do so. So as we come forward, may we be recommitting ourselves, or perhaps for the first time committing ourselves fully to love you as we should and love others as we should. We pray these things in your name. Amen.